0: Welcome to As A Woman, episode 85, Reproductive Rights. Today I'm talking all about the intersection of science, politics, reproduction, and who gets to decide what happens to your body. Welcome to As A Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self become a part of the community fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hey friends, welcome back. So today I am talking about reproductive rights and what that means. I touched on it in my last episode which was called I'm speaking where I really talked about, you know, female empowerment and why getting involved in politics This election year is so important, especially for me and my profession. And I've had a lot of questions since then. And I really felt like that was worth scrapping my entire, you know, episode plan for the year because it's October 18th when this episode airs and you need to go vote. And so I really felt like if you had honest questions, I should be answering them. It's really interesting when you have a podcast because you have to decide what to name every episode, and you don't want it to be too long because people are lazy and they'll get bored and they won't see what the name is. Yet if it's too controversial, people may never give it a chance. Meaning, I was going to call this episode abortion or abortion rights for a long time, and I didn't want to alienate women who have very strong feelings about that, even though I think it's something that we need to talk about. I grew up in a Southern conservative Christian house, which was fine. I grew up in South Georgia, and I didn't know any friends who got an abortion. I didn't personally get an abortion, and I knew most people were really adamantly against it under the basis that it opposed their religion, and that to be Southern was to stand up for Christian religious beliefs, which meant to vote Republican. We can argue about that if we want, because. I truly believe that most Christians have views that are socially much more liberal than traditional Republican views, at least under the Trump administration, and really do believe in things like freedom of people and caring for others and not putting children in cages and protecting those in our community who are sick or poor or disenfranchised or who need help. To me, those are the beliefs that Jesus embodied, health care for all, freedom of choice, forgiveness, equality, you can do you, but I honestly challenge the notion that to be very Christian, you must be very Republican. And we can take traditional ideals like Democrat and Republican out of this conversation, because I know a lot of people who are very Republican, and the current administration does not support their views. So let's not harp on our category. Let's think about our beliefs and why we believe them and how does that impact this exact election. I always grew up believing in abortion and I don't know where that came from except that as somebody who a young woman in her teenage years wanted to become a physician, I honestly felt like that was not the government's place to make decisions for doctors. A fundamental belief over medicine that physicians and patients should be the one who are making choices that are right for them. No matter what the subject matter was, it just happened to be abortion that everybody talked about. And I remember in high school and in college, I went to college at Auburn, which is in South Alabama. So very similar Southern Christian conservative beliefs. I loved it there, but I was the outlier and I don't love drama, but I love understanding people's brains and taking deep dives on issues. That's the introverted me to the extreme. And I would have so many conversations with people, and I was constantly surprised by the lack of an answer to their beliefs besides, I'm Christian, and this is what I need to believe. I believe in the sanctity of life. I believe that life begins at conception. I heard these things over and over, and even though I would say, I believe in life too, I couldn't get over the hump that I didn't think it was a man's job who had no idea what abortion was or is to dictate what was okay and what was not. So I held firm to that. My own experiences as a healthcare professional opened my eyes, and I think anybody who's in medicine who has taken care of people at a county or community hospital has been humble to the extreme. I'm gonna start crying recording the podcast for the first time. bye seeing people at their worst and in situations completely out of their control. I was at Parkland Hospital in Dallas and you can't come to me and tell me that you know what it must be like for somebody who is living at the ends of their means, who has avoided preventative care, who has no or limited access. These struggles and the heartache and the death that comes from a lower socioeconomic status class because they just do not have access to care, the noise that that fills up in your heart and your body when you see it, it's deafening. It is deafening because that's when you really look and you realize your own privilege. Because I got to debate these issues with my friends on a philosophical basis, and here are women and men living them in real life and not having health insurance, and not having access to education, and not having the ability to get medical care when they need it, it kills people, you guys. It kills people. And Parkland, we would have, when I worked in the emergency room, people would line up outside the door on Sunday evening to get admitted to the ER because they needed dialysis. And dialysis was a first come, first serve thing for somebody who doesn't have health care. So they would come Then, depending on how high their potassium was, how much ascites they had, did they have a pleural effusion yet, they would get triaged into who would get dialysis that week and who would not. Lack of access kills people. As an OBGYN resident, I did not do any time at Planned Parenthood performing abortions or talking about contraception in that way. That was not part of our training. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. Cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com/aaw for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's slash aaw to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash AAW. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperature starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. However, our training was to take care of anybody who walked in the door. And some of the situations that we think of in theory, I saw with my own eyes, both in residency and in fellowship. And I think it's really important to give a face to abortion. And so I'm going to tell you a few modified patient scenarios that I lived as the provider. There's the patient who had no access to care who got diagnosed with leukemia in the early stages of her pregnancy when she sought prenatal care at the free clinic. It was so advanced that she was recommended to terminate the pregnancy so she could start chemotherapy and she declined on the basis of religion. And during her pregnancy, she and her baby both died. She started bleeding out from her eyeballs because her blood values were so off and went into labor at a pre-viable state. And it was traumatic for her entire family to lose a mom because she had other kids and to lose her in such a traumatic way. And she expressed multiple times that even though it would haunt her to terminate the pregnancy, she wants to live and be a mom for her other kids, but her family would not accept her if she terminated that pregnancy. And so she died for that belief. The first time mom who got sent to my hospital because she had a really rare condition, she was trying to get pregnant and very excited to get pregnant, got pregnant with twins. However, one of the twin was a molar pregnancy. A molar pregnancy is essentially an overgrowth of placental cells that starts to invade and can turn cancerous. And it can be extremely dangerous to the mom. They make so much HCG, which is pregnancy hormone, that it can cause you to go into hypertensive crisis. And something called thyroid storm, and it can be life-threatening. And that's what happened to her. And she was in the second trimester having a hypertensive crisis and thyroid storm, a medical emergency, and we had to go and do a dilation and extraction. It's called a DNE, which essentially meant terminate her pregnancy, even with a child that was not affected because there was no way to just have one survive in that circumstance, and the other pregnancy was killing her. It was killing her. Her blood pressure was so high, she would stroke out at any moment. Her thyroid was so bad, it would put her into a thyroid coma very soon. And that was the only way to save her life, was to terminate the pregnancy, which was both pregnancies, both the mole and the normal baby. I mean, I promise I would have saved the normal baby if there was a way, you guys. I sobbed during that case and afterward and with her, and she was just a regular person, perfect access to care, and trying to get pregnant, a deeply, deeply desired pregnancy. There's the mom that had two kids who had lost one of her children to childhood cancer. So her one remaining child had lived through that experience. She then got pregnant again, which they were thrilled about. Their family needed new life to heal and found out that that child had a lethal genetic condition. She made the choice to end that pregnancy during the pregnancy instead of carrying that child to term and giving birth mostly because her other child, she didn't want to do it to her. She didn't want to leave her other living child watching another sibling die. And so that pregnancy termination was an induced delivery because that got diagnosed later. Oftentimes some of these things do not get diagnosed until anatomy scan, which is usually around 20 weeks or the midpoint of pregnancy. After consultations with tons of specialists, they induced delivery. It was on L&D. They had a birth photographer who captured special memories of the parents with their child. And this was a deeply desired pregnancy. They wanted that baby so bad. They need that life to help heal, but they couldn't put their existing child through that. So against all of their preconceived beliefs, when it was their family in this certain circumstance, They made the decision that was right for them. I've seen patients with lupus and diabetes be told that their diseases were so out of control that to carry the pregnancy to term would kill them and have them make hard decisions. I've seen parents and families pregnant with children who are extremely desired, who've had to make hard decisions for the mom's life or for the baby's life. And I'm so thankful that I've never personally been in that circumstance. As somebody who has lost pregnancies, it's a terrible thing no matter how it happens. It must be even worse to have it happen in a circumstance that you can't control or that you didn't want and to have it come with so much shame and stigma, I can't even, I can't even get over that. Those stories are not to say that plenty of people don't choose abortions because it's just not the right time for them. And if you can give an accept to any circumstance, there are still valid reasons. Abortion is not okay except in circumstances of rape or incest. No, that means abortion needs to be okay, so women who experience rape or incest have access to it. Abortion is not okay except in circumstances of the mother's life. The thing is, people who make the laws do not understand, the medical minutiae of what these ifs are. And so if we allow laws to go into the gray zone, we then are putting women and families at risk. We have to trust science and medical professionals enough to know that this is a very personal decision between a doctor and a mom that is going to be different in almost every circumstance. And you can personally not believe in abortion, which means you wouldn't get one for yourself. And that's really great because that shows a lot of privilege that that circumstance wouldn't kill you, wouldn't leave your other children without a mom, or wouldn't hinder you because you don't have money to even feed the kids that you have. It's a lot, a lot of privilege to say, I would never get an abortion myself. And that's okay. It's okay to have privilege. You just have to acknowledge it. I'm glad you're living in that zone and that you're in the place that if you got pregnant, you could afford or support or socially make it happen and it wouldn't kill you. I'm I'm honestly really happy for you. I mean, that's me, right? That's me. I'm sitting here telling you that I believe in abortion and I do. I mean, I do. Look, I just told you some stories. And what I mean by I believe in abortion is that it is a procedure that saves lives and it is a procedure that should be permitted to be discussed between medical professionals and their patients. But would I go get one myself? No, I'm extremely privileged and we could have that child and I'm healthy enough that it wouldn't kill me and it's okay with my profession and a lot of various things. So no, but does that mean I go to the ballot and I vote for me? No, you vote for the people in the world that you care about. When you have immense privilege, you don't vote for you. I don't go vote to save money on my taxes screw that I vote to give that money to help the people who need it and you can do whatever you want with your own financial resources but on social issues you must open your eyes if you are privileged you need to vote for the people who are not that's who needs our help so I want to talk about two things one is Roe versus Wade and then the other is the personhood bill Roe versus Wade is protecting ability to access abortion on a national level. If it gets overturned, which is highly likely in the current political climate, what that means is abortion access to care will be severely dependent on the state that you live in. It will lead to a huge inequity and ability to access an abortion because you will have to have the ability to travel across state lines and have adequate childcare and get to someplace that can service you in a timeline that is acceptable to get there. I will say already, I live in Texas, and when I have patients who are in circumstances and they need a termination of a pregnancy, maybe it's because of high order multiples and that it's been designated as too risky for them and for their babies to continue or because of genetic abnormalities that are diagnosed, the state of Texas already makes it really difficult for women to get a termination of pregnancy after 20 weeks. Most of my patients do have to travel in order to get that done, which adds extra burden to an already extremely emotional process. And that's in current day. If Roe versus Wade gets overturned, about 10 states have automatic laws in place that will automatically ban abortions without the protection of Roe versus Wade. 12 other states are highly likely to pass new laws, which would likely lead to abortion bans in those states. And so that means that it's going to be extremely difficult for a woman to get an abortion in those states, and probably even in other states because abortion clinics will close, there will be less support and less funding. It's going to be harder to get in. And if you're in the difficult choice of considering getting an abortion, it is 100% safer the earlier it happens. So if we live in a world where it's harder to get access to an abortion, you are going to see More women either not getting the procedure, getting the procedure done late, or having illegal abortions. So let's all take a minute and remember Dirty Dancing. Are you like me? Did you see this movie when you were so young that you didn't even realize that Penny had an abortion? I don't know when I learned that that's actually what happened in Dirty Dancing, that Penny went and got a dirty, nasty abortion somewhere and then had an infection from it. And baby's dad came and he was a doctor and gave her antibiotics and said she'd be okay. That's not made up stuff. Let's think of the time where Dirty Dancing existed. So yes, Dirty Dancing came out in 1987, but it was set in 1963. And it was a really smart movie that had an abortion subplot for a reason, because they wanted to have other women and men understand in the pre-Roe versus Wade dynamic. So Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973. It was a landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court in which the court ruled that the Constitution protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose to have an abortion without excessive government restriction. Before that was passed, 10 years earlier, dirty dancing. Here's Penny. It's 1963. Abortion is illegal. Penny is a dancer. That's how she makes money. Can't make said money if she's pregnant. Robbie the creep says he's not going to blow his money, helping her at all. He's not even going to give her money for an abortion. Do you remember this? And so then she needs $250 for the illegal abortion doctor who's coming to town to do it on a dirty table with a knife. Or maybe it's a folding table with a dirty knife. Regardless, baby gets Penny the money, Penny gets the abortion, Penny gets sick afterward. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know the women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. Let's also acknowledge that baby's dad, who is a doctor, when baby comes to get him in the middle of the night to help Penny, he doesn't sit down and ask Penny what happened and then storm out of the room, I don't believe in abortion and it's illegal so I'm not going to help you. No, he's a doctor. He took an oath to take care of people and he is taking care of Penny. Now let me say this. Number one, is everybody who goes and is so against abortion, are they really against dirty dancing too? Because this is a very liberal statement about abortion and reproductive rights. And number two, dirty dancing did not make this up. This is actually a practice that was really common before abortion was legal. And you can talk to OBGYNs who are older and they will tell you about the abortion wards or the septic wards, women getting septic. That's an infection, a bacterial infection inside your bloodstream from illegal abortions. And women would die from trying to induce abortions at home with instruments, medications, trauma, this isn't a made up thing. Meaning if we limit access to abortion care because we are so pro-life, more people will die. Because it's not going to prevent women from ending a pregnancy if they're in a circumstance and they need to end it. It is going to prevent them from being able to do so safer. And so instead of just having the pregnancy terminated, a woman and her child are both likely to die. And yes, we can sit here and debate that maybe that woman should give a child up for adoption or this and that. Great, let's keep abortion legal so it can be a safe access to care opportunity for those who need it. And let's help fund adoptions and let's make them more mainstream and let's give more money to support young women who are pregnant. Do both, you guys. It is not that I want these babies to go be adopted so I'm gonna force the mom to have them because moms will still die. Moms will die at a higher rate. More people will get sick. And there are circumstances that you or your mom or your sister or your daughter, your daughter may find themselves in that are terrible, traumatic, and heartbreaking, and even to highly desired pregnancies. This is the thing about all the late-term abortion talk. Nobody is doing a late-term abortion to terminate a pregnancy unless it is necessary to save their life or because the child is so sick it's not going to make it anyway. You don't get that far. You don't get through that much. If you walked in at 32 weeks wanting to have an abortion, nobody's just gonna give it to you because you don't wanna be a mom. That's not how the medical world works. However, if you have cancer and that pregnancy is killing you, or you have severe lupus, or your baby has born with anencephaly and has no brain, those may be calculated decisions by your healthcare provider to go into labor and give birth to that baby at an earlier time period so that you can heal, so that there's less risk to you, and so you can get on to that next pregnancy. These are terrible decisions that nobody wants to be in. And by limiting access to abortion, we are going to hurt more people than we help. I don't understand why this same group wants to oppose contraception also. Because if you truly want to decrease the number of abortions that happen, You need to provide better preventative methods so that young women and older women, so that women can prevent conception from occurring if they so desire. Limiting access to contraception in the name of life does not make sense. And as an OBGYN, we use contraceptive methods all the time for medical problems, those with hormones and those without, because they can help control your periods and different medical issues. That argument to me is crap. Again, it is showing your own privilege that you think you're above this issue because it doesn't impact you. Thank God you don't have PCOS or endometriosis or infertility or any medical condition that would make your life harder. Okay, let's talk about personhood bills. Personhood legislation is trying to say that from the moment that sperm and egg fertilize, the pregnancy, the embryo, has inalienable rights. It has equality of justice and due protection from the law. And what this means is that if a human being has rights from the moment of fertilization, you can't then go terminate that pregnancy because it has rights. So the premise of personhood bills is to make abortion illegal. Now we can debate when life starts because I've seen twin pregnancies come from a single embryo that was five days old and 200 cells that I put inside a woman and it split therefore after. So is that one life that's split into two or are each of those persons their own independent life? Regardless of when you believe life begins, there's no denying that life is parasitic onto a mother until a baby is born. That embryo is dependent upon mom's internal environment to keep it growing until it exists. Different verbiages of the language used in personhood bills in different states, there is stuff that The term person or persons shall include every human being from the moment of fertilization, making it an equivalent person. A living in vitro human being is a biological human being who is not the property of any person. The term child shall include a human embryo. The right to life for each born and pre-born human begins at fertilization. A person shall not intentionally or knowingly engage in non-therapeutic research that could result in injury, death, or destruction to an embryo. The term unborn child shall include the offspring of a human being from the moment of conception until birth at every single stage of biological development. The term persons applies to every human being from the beginning of biological development. Okay, so proponents for personhood bills say that this is to protect human life so that you can't do illegal research on embryos and that it would make abortion and stem cell research illegal. However, Personhood legislation gives so much gray zone into the legal world that every fertility doctor, there was a publication in Fertility and Sterility, first time in 70 years where they're going political, saying that personhood legislation would make it difficult or near impossible for us to use in vitro fertilization or IVF. And most personhood bills take it a step further, meaning it could make you criminal as a physician if you're doing anything with eggs and sperm inside a lab. So you could be criminally prosecuted for doing IVF. It might make it so you can't freeze embryos or you have to transfer more embryos. If your embryos aren't your own right and you've gone through IVF, though, who owns those frozen embryos in the lab? Those questions are real. What about ectopic pregnancies? Does that pregnancy have a right even though it's implanted in a place that would kill the mother? What does that mean? We all know you can't go re-implant pregnancies no matter what Ohio wants to tell you. And so by supporting fringe pro-life people who are saying that life begins at personhood, these bills would have extreme ramifications, likely making IVF illegal and other fertility treatments, and also likely having huge impacts on donor eggs, donor sperm, and other options which we help Families grow. We bring life into the world. As a reproductive endocrinologist, IVF is one of the best tools that I have in my belt to help couples have a family. There have been over 10 million babies born from IVF. Over 10 million babies born from IVF. Are we really sitting here and saying we're so pro-life that we believe those children should not exist? What in the actual world? Okay, so here's where I want to sum up. You can be pro-life and yet support That an abortion or personhood or science should be in the hands of doctors. Doctors and patients should be making decisions that are personalized to them. My patients come to me for personalized medicine. They want me to look through their chart, give a plan that's exactly right for them. Not a protocol, not a factory, not a cookie cutter plan. We all want that from our doctors, right? That right needs to be protected under the law. Meaning if you want your own personalized plan for treatment, it should also include the ability for your doctor to know you and talk you through options for your circumstance. And more than anything, these medical procedures should be allowed to be done in safe environment. Contraception rights, abortion access, IVF, personhood, LGBT rights, marriage equality, these things impact me every day. Do not come to me and tell me that doctors don't belong in politics. Politics decided it wanted doctors to be involved when they started passing laws and introducing bills that directly impacts our ability to take care of the patients that we took an oath for. I know it's easy to live in a place of privilege. That really means that these things haven't impacted you. When they've impacted you personally, or when you've seen people go through them, I promise you, you will be humbled by the depths of pain and suffering that can exist in somebody's life. And it is not my right to make decisions for you. Every patient who sits in my office, I tell them, it's not my job to decide what's right for your family. What are your goals? What is your circumstance? You deserve the right to make that choice. It is not the government's job It is not a bunch of people who've not been in your circumstance their job to tell you what is allowed and what is not. It is not their job to say that over 10 million babies should not have been born, all under the desire of so deeply wanting to prohibit abortion that they would therefore pass laws that prohibit IVF. Abortion is a personal choice, just like being pregnant should be a personal choice contraception is a personal choice infertility is a personal choice for your treatment these things need to be decisions made between doctors and patients and you can personally feel however you want about it and that should be the beauty of living in america is that your personal choice gets respected i believe that you should vote to protect freedom you should vote to respect science you should vote to allow everyone to have their own personal choice when it comes to their health and their bodies. Thanks so much for listening. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Natalie Crawford, MD. I also have a YouTube channel. You can search Natalie Crawford, MD, where I talk about fertility related topics. My last video was all about my own personal miscarriage story. If you want to go hear more about it, go listen now.